Welcome back to 7 Seconds or More. This is episode 11. We're really in the double digits now. It'll be a while. Again, I think it's like 18 months till we're in triple digits. So very exciting. <laughs> we're back as always with Duncan Adele. Duncan, how are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. Garrett is not with us again. So we have our resident uh, you know, uh, Instagram uh, social media consultant. I couldn't find the words. Uh, Dan, how are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me out here. The, the Clay Thompson jersey in the background, very fitting today as we're going to get into, uh, obviously, a finals preview. But before, uh, there's a lot to really go over in that wild game seven. Uh, just to get some of the stuff out of the way that we always talk about, get your mailbag submissions in, in the link in the description of this and all episodes. Love to answer any questions you guys have. I know we have a couple already. Would like to have more so we can make a, a longer episode. We're going to try to do some different sort of things in the coming weeks after the finals end. We'll obviously do some draft coverage, and then we might uh, go in some other directions. We might look at, I don't know, like historic games, seasons, deep dives on players, other draft classes. Might do 10 yards or more, nine innings or more. We'll see. Might have um, a little fantasy football special coming up. Yeah, we might have a little, a little one, one, uh, one episode, Mason WNBA coverage. You know, as that yeah, season heats up over the summer. Um, that'd well, be Lisa Cunane just got picked up, the NC State uh, center who got dropped by the Seattle Storm. Who, uh, All the Seattle Storm's picks. Who oh, the Minnesota up? Lynx. The Lynx. Yeah. Up there with Avina, too. Yeah, right. Avina's no, been for playing it. well, right? Yeah, she's not been bad. She got a, f- a full season contract. Um, she's been pretty solid, getting like anywhere 10 to 20 minutes a game, you know. Wow. Uh, I might change my allegiance from the Storm to the Lynx just because the Storm is a <laughs> dog water organization. They put together four wins, but like they just they dropped all of their draft picks. They cut them all. It's just weird. It's I, I would I would say like it's a recipe for not success, but I really don't know how they work. There's just not enough roster spots, and the Storm have historically been good in the last you know five ten years. So yeah, clearly they're doing something right. Uh, and uh, last thing, just to finish up our intro, all episodes moving forward should be in video and audio form on Spotify. I don't know if you guys knew that oh. Spotify has video form. So yeah, you can wow. can watch it there. And then if you want to watch the video form, but don't want to use Spotify, use like different app. Those will be available on our YouTube. Uh, so our last two are available on there. Um, and if you're looking for those, they are available as always at the link in this and all episode uh, descriptions. So let's just get right into it. Game seven. It was a very, very crazy game. Celtics sort of led wire to wire, yet it wasn't a comfortable win for the Celtics. Uh, one thing I really wanted to start on was what we thought of the Jimmy Butler shot, at least for me, mm-hmm. uh, really based off the momentum the last two minutes. I know Miami went on like an 8 nothing run. Uh, I thought that shot was going in, and I thought it'd be a play I would have in my head forever, and yes. I'd be constantly hearing about like the David Tyree catch. If you're if you're a Patriots fan, Philly special. Um, oh, that's the worst. <laughs> I hate it every time it comes out, just because it's some gimmick play. And now and everyone the worst tries part it. about about it is the Patriots ran that same play in the first half, and now everyone's like, "Oh yeah, Philly, Philly, they came up with that." It's like, no, that was the same play. <laughs> There's something to be said if you uh, if you're the one that executes it well, though. So, fair, I'll fair credit true. to the Eagles, I guess. Um, 
Uh, For that Butler shot, I will say in a vacuum, I would have been okay if I'm the Celtics with giving him that look because he sort of settled because he didn't drive into Horford. Horford was reeling, and so Butler probably would have gone past him. Uh, He's a great finisher at the rim using his strength against anyone. He can really draw the contact and then manipulate his body in the air in order to uh, get an and one. And so I thought that was a really high possibility. So honestly, as that shot was in the air, I was preparing for what the Celtics (laughs) were going to run out of the timeout. Like, were they going to (laughs) run? Was it going to be a deception play for Tatum? Was it going to be Brown coming off a couple screens going downhill? Would it be a play Brad Stevens used to run where they would get Horford sort of pinned down one-on-one in the post. Um, but then, you know, didn't go in. Uh, Jalen Brown tips it. Al Horford secures the rebound. And it's sort of over from there. So what did yeah. you guys think about it? Well, I personally, like, you know, Jimmy Butler played 48 minutes that game. And he could not handle overtime. I think the possibility of an and one, I don't know, it's against Al Horford, a more disciplined defender was a huge part of why the Celtics won that game I think Jimmy made the right choice like you know he's hot from three wide open games in your hands like no doubt about it no referee nothing going on but just didn't go down what about yeah, you Dan for me I mean if that shot goes down that's like Peter said that's just one of the immortalized moments in like the NBA you know scheme but um like Peter said, he's great at finishing at the rim, and even though Al Horford's a fantastic defender, I still think um, a guy that's shooting 24% from three over the past three seasons, I feel like you have to take advantage of that one-on-one coverage and just go to the rim, see what happens if you get a foul. But I mean, Jimmy's the best player on that Heat Miami Heat team, so I don't fault him for taking that shot. Yeah, I don't know if that was the right decision. I don't know if Jimmy was also in his head in the last couple of minutes. Before Miami sort of went on that like 8-0 run, uh, Miami, or that, that only brought them close because Boston had extended their lead to around 15. And part of it was Miami could get no looks on offense. They were, they were driving like Jimmy was going hard to the cup, but you know Grant Williams had his hands straight up, or, or Jalen Brown if he got switched onto him. And... and I think Jimmy was tired or, or the pressure on him was, was a lot. And he was, he was missing these, these four or five footers, uh, still tough looks, but they were like off the backboard and didn't hit rim or stuff like that. And so I don't you know. That's if fatigue. He, it very well could have been. I Spolster after the game said that the plan wasn't like necessarily to play him 48 minutes, but the way those games go, he's a guy you can trust and you, you put everything in, so you need to have him out there. Uh, Tatum yeah. and Brown each got rest for the Celtics. Um, Tatum at the end of the first quarter, Brown had uh, a couple times throughout the game. And yeah, I mean, I you get a 17-point lead or 18-point lead at the, the first quarter. I forget exactly how much. Then you better rest your starters. <laughs> it, it, it's a good point, and they, they certainly had the cushion to do that. Like, I'll we can just get into what Miami was doing uh, and tinkering their rotation a lot through the game. And it really started in the first quarter because it was reported before the game that Tyler Harrow would be a hero. I always mess it up. He'd be available to play after he missed the last two games due to a groin injury. And so he comes in the first quarter when Boston is up by like a dozen because Spolster is just trying to see what works. And he plays a couple mm-hmm. minutes. He, he misses some shots. 
that really gets going and you really never see from him again. And what Miami had to do down the stretch, I thought, um, first of all, it was a great job by Spolstra trying to figure out what would work. But he he had a really limited rotation when I thought Miami's depth was great uh, throughout the series. Tucker, did, um, who was great early in the series, beating up on Tatum and sticking on him, was largely ineffective, and Boston really turned him into a one-dimensional player. Uh, Oladipo had to play big minutes uh, as Miami downsized to try to score and come back and to have a better perimeter defender because Tucker was ineffective. And and But the one thing Oladipo had, he had the athleticism, but he could not hit a shot, whether it was a layup, which he threw like off the backboard just real mm-hmm. recklessly. His jump shots, if it wasn't a wide open step back over like Peyton Pritchard, wasn't reliable. And he he doesn't look 100%. He looks like he, um, he'll need some time in the offseason. Obviously, a good development for Victor Oladipo becoming like a viable NBA player again. Um, yeah. But I just think Miami ran out of options and, and didn't have enough guys to trust going down the stretch. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, it makes me think, you know, you see Joel Trowell and Bede on Twitter, um, and he's talking about, like, what they need. It, it reminds me of the, the Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum dynamic. Should we split them up? Should we split them up? Should we split them up? They split them up in Philly, and now neither of them can win a championship. I think, Dan, did you comment that on something? I feel like I, I saw you comment about that, but, <laughs> like, it's just they need another guy in Miami. And Eric, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he did a great job with the rotations, but. It's tough. Do you think Lowry's washed up now? Or what do you think about his situation? I don't think he's washed up, but I think he was the most annoying player to watch <laughs> in Game 7. Oh my gosh. Just he got every single charge call. Like, yeah, they were charges, but they weren't being called on the other end um, against Jimmy. And, you know, some of them were questionably blocks, whatever. But he got every single call, and he was so upset the whole game. It was mm-hmm. It's just annoying to watch. <laughs> He'll have the most obvious fouls, and then he will be incensed and not know what he what he did wrong. Yeah, yeah. One thing about Larry that I uh, it's less on Larry. He wasn't doing anything wrong trying to draw a foul, but no. I'm confused on what a charge versus like legal guarding position is nowadays because I'm okay with the 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 basically the rule being you got to beat the guy to the spot. Your, your feet don't have to be perfectly down or anything. And that's what the calls ended up being. Um, I remember on, I believe it was like the right side of the court, um, uh, you know, Brown coming off a screen, running into Larry. Larry's like chest and body. He clearly gets to the spot first, but his feet aren't like perfectly down. Um, Celtics, I think they challenged that one and they lost the challenge. Yeah. But at, at other times, you see, like, you know, a guy trying to take a charge, like, a foot outside the restricted area, and he's, like, sliding over, and his, and mm-hmm. his foot just isn't quite set yet, and then it's called a blocking foul. Uh, there's just not a lot of consistency. And obviously, game to game, we see it all the time, ref to ref. There's a reason why you see the update that Scott Foster is refing the game, and, and the lines change, and everyone... Um, you pull up the stats, like, oh, Miami is, has this record with Scott Foster. I do you think there could be something where you need to have the same refs for like the whole series so you have some consistency you learn how a ref calls a game or or just like consistency between the regular season and the playoffs because just seems there's some fouls where like that wouldn't be called in the regular season and then obviously in in a game seven 
they were like there was all kinds of reaching fouls they weren't called because it's a game seven you know you gotta mm-hmm. gotta play through this like there's just no consistency across the board it's really frustrating especially with kyle larry <laughs> well that's an interesting thought like like dan i wonder what you think about the whole um was it max Struess, the three that got taken oh, back? oh the heel yeah and like his heel wasn't even yeah. that obviously out what do you think about that I don't know. I feel like like the refs. I mean, they have a they have a hard time making those calls. So I don't. And in those high pressure games, they obviously have the pressure to make the right call. But I feel like the NBA is also like an entertainment industry. Yeah. Not saying that it's like scripted in a way to be that way, but. Um, it was just weird, right? Because like it wasn't an obvious. Yeah, he's out of bounds, and they had obviously had the chance to review it again and again because they called it like a couple minutes after it happened, and like, I don't know. I don't want to say that the game was rigged, but you know it was a three point game at the end of the day or two point game, and that three could have meant a lot in that, that momentum. So it's just kind of weird with all the fouls not being reviewable, and hopefully they change the rule with the you retain your challenge on a successful challenge because right. like. You should be incentivized to to challenge every play that the refs obviously get wrong um, instead of like saving it for one that get, they get more wrong than others, you know? Yeah, and this I think it's game six I had this another like sort of rule come up that I was sort of um, questioning. I think there was a charge that I forget who took it, like Larry or something probably, uh, in the cylinder as the Celtics were trying to like scrape away some points at the last minute. And it was called like a blocking foul, but they reviewed it because you can review if a guy's in the cylinder in the last like two minutes. Yeah, but uh, you can't review some out of bounds calls. Like mm-hmm. it's super weird. I I really don't get it. Um, back to what you were talking about though earlier with the Struth shot, Duncan. Uh, I was watching like every post game press conference. I was going between all the channels on the TV, <laughs> waiting to see when Tatum would get to the podium or everything. Um, but I, I watched some of what Eric Spolster had to say. Um, uh, first of all, I have a lot of respect for Eric Spolster. He was very, very candid, um, very respectful towards Boston. Um, but the one thing he was saying is that what was really critical about that Struess overturned play is that it happened, they overturned it like five or six minutes after the shot. And so the context that the team was playing in was completely mm-hmm. different. Yeah. Because with that three, they had momentum. I think they were probably down, they're down by like three or five, anywhere from that range. But then all of a sudden they're down by eight. If they knew they were down by eight that whole time, they might have played a different way. Um, certainly if you're down by that, Spolster may look at a guy, um, you know, that's a turnover for Struess. You might want to take him out of the game after that. Um, it's just a, a lot. And I know they're trying to work as fast as they can in that review and try to have it happen in real time. But if there's a question about it, can't you just stop the game and review it at the time? I guess that wasn't the case. I think they review every three probably to see if the feet are behind. And in that case, they saw that the heel was out. But if I were a a Heat fan and um, even a non-biased basketball fan, I'd certainly be a little frustrated and questioning uh, really how that how that play went. Luckily, it wasn't in like the fourth quarter or crunch time, and then it would have been like a really big deal. But Nonetheless, yeah. it was kind of tough to see. 
especially a play like when seeing that review, it wasn't obviously out of bounds. Like from the angle they showed on ESPN, it looked like his heel was above the line. It didn't look like he touched out of bounds. And like, yeah, they took five, six minutes. I feel like at that point, you just let it go. You let the game flow. It already happened. Like none of the Celtics fans are going to like go through the tape and be like, he was out of bounds. He was out of bounds. Like, I don't know. I think it just would have been better for the game if they had just not done that. <laughs> I, I do feel like I saw his heel for like the like a, the split second. I'd have to, I'd have to go through like frame by frame. Yeah, I, I only saw one angle of it, and from the angle I saw, it looked like it wasn't touching. But I wish I saw the other side because yeah. yeah. I I've there's so many times I've seen like a three, and I'm like he's got to be out of bounds. But it is amazing what these elite level shooters. Um, yeah. I won't call this guy an elite level shooter, but I think Victor <laughs> Oladipo had a similar play, um, a couple of games ago, and they show the replay, and yeah, his his heel, like let's say, um, for everyone watching the video, I, I'm doing mm-hmm. visual demonstration. Uh, if, if like the end of my finger is his heel, they'll they'll be able to move and plant and shoot and and fall with their heel up the whole time. It's such like a unique skill, staying on the yeah. front of your your toes. And then also having, you know, being able to know where the line is. And then while you're catching the pass, being able to move the ball in your hand to get it where you want. I know some guys like their fingers on on a certain seam of the ball to get the perfect rotation. Uh, It's really incredible what they're doing. And we're going to see a lot of that elite level shooting um, coming up with Golden State. Yeah, it's going to be excited for that. We'll talk about that later. Yeah, we will. We'll we'll get to a lot of that. Uh, One thing I did want to talk about, though, um, certainly it would have been a different story if Struess had that three held, but uh, Boston's really collapsed at the end of the game. We've seen this across a a couple of games in the Milwaukee series and now in this Miami series, how Boston struggles to close out a game in the half court, how they can't really get into a good set. uh, after they, they drain the clock down. And I think it really would have been a historic collapse. Now, I don't know all yeah. of NBA history or Celtics history, but when you're in the position to get your team to the finals, after this historic run and after everything and this, the success that Tatum, Horford, Brown, Smart have had throughout their Celtics tenure would have been a real blemish on their on their careers yeah i mean to me just like uh you guys like tell me what you think but it running the clock down when your greatest strength all game was the points in transition is not a winning recipe you know what they were so what, what al horford was so good at and i noticed all game the second he rebounded within like two seconds of the shot clock they were they were like on the three point line on the other side yeah. of the court, you know. Like he's so quick at rebounding and just dishing the ball out. And when you're slowing down the game, you let Miami get set in their defense. You know, there's no mismatches as you've been running down the court. Um, they've got the coaches on the side, like the they're they're ready for whatever you've got. Mm-hmm. And then you only give yourself like eight seconds to try to put something together without a real plan. And they weren't running plays. It was like ISOs or just like, yeah. oh, let's see if someone's open. No one's going to get open when they got a set defense. So if you guys were the were Ime or whatever, would you have chewed down the clock like that? Or would you have continued to push and try to extend the lead? For me, I think it, 
I think it was a lot of like inexperience, both on the coaching end and the guys on the floor. Even though, like, I don't think experience it, like directly translates to success because, I mean, the Celtics have gone through the Bucks, the Nets, the Heat, all these teams with a lot of winners. So I don't think that necessarily translates to it, but I do think that there was like a a sort of naivety and just inexperience in general. It's a lot of situational basketball and and what to know what to do in certain scenarios. That's what Golden State is really, really good at. They know what to do in certain situations because they've been there, but they also have a certain type of player that knows how to execute in in certain scenarios. Um, And I think there was, to a degree, some bad luck. Like, they missed a lot of, like, bunnies around the rim. And Mm -hmm. even so, they got a couple offensive rebounds, and Marcus Smart opened threes, and he couldn't make those. And then Miami Uh, was Deep open threes. (laughs) They they were deep. Um, They were really not good shots, but they were open, and he had to take them. And then Miami hit some some great looks. So it's some like good and bad luck on both sides. But uh, Jason Tatum had bailed them out multiple times down the stretch with with end of shot clock looks. Yeah, the the sidestep on the left wing over Jimmy Butler or was it over? It was Larry over Larry. I I forget the left wing. Yeah, and then obviously the the inbound sort of pirouette against Jimmy. That was um, a thing of beauty. Oh yeah, it, there's a lot of value in having a guy who can bail you out. Obviously, in yeah. in, in the end, in a half court setting in a playoff environment, that's why mm-hmm. there's you see the the mid range and the ISO numbers go way up in the playoffs because you need to be able to score like that. But if I'm Boston, I wouldn't have a lot of confidence in my end of game scoring, and maybe maybe it helps this matchup against Golden State. It may be less of like a football game less of a brawl and everyone getting beat down but i think they have a lot of questions they need to answer before things get going on thursday Hmm. yeah then the other thing i see you have down here peter i'll ask you the question what happened to rob Robert williams he was nowhere to be seen (laughs) yeah um i think he it's weird looking at like the body language rob is a guy who it's really interesting to read his body language. He will look very like down and unmotivated at times, but he will, he will get fiery uh, when he gets things going. I think he was, this surgery has been really tough on him because Mm. you may said it for the last like 27 days, they've played like every other day or something like that. And that's crazy. As a guy recovering off his left knee surgery and the knee on like a center, someone who's so reliant on his sort of pogo stick jumping is is really important. And it it was a real uh, great effort for him by playing those minutes. Mm -hmm. But you could tell he was was just a shell of himself. He wasn't able to get that extra burst on offensive or defensive rebounds where he's so good at being a a put-back guy. When I think of guys who can be able to put the ball back up immediately, him and Zion are the first two I think of. Yeah. Just uh, that unreal ability to get the board and get it back up before anyone else even yeah. can like think yeah. about it. It's insane. The only time he doesn't recover is when you know he gets switched onto the guard and they fake the three. <laughs> he falls for that every time, and he jumps like <laughs> out of bounds almost, and they yeah. just run right past it. But other than that, yeah, the man he jumps, they get the pump fake, 
and then he's back up there to get the block on the second shot. I would have to look at more tape on that, but I do think there was a degree of he never got anything going, so he's trying to make an impact in any way, and yeah, yeah. he's been great at blocking shots in the corner. We, uh, I forget, who did he block in the corner the other game? It was like Struess or Tucker, Larry or something. He comes out of nowhere, he gets, gets a yeah, tip on the ball. Yeah, they just teleport like, for a second there at the top of the key, and then they just zap towards the corner, swat it away. And one thing yeah. with Rob, I think, is that He's a guy that, for the past couple seasons, struggled with fitness. Like playing more than twenty three to twenty five minutes a game was, it was a battle for him. But um, yeah, I'm just hoping that he can make some type of more positive impact on the court against the Warriors. And I think he has a good matchup in Kavon Looney, and I think it's going to be a good battle. I I think that matchup will be really interesting. I have I sort of wrote down. I don't know if they'll be a little more matchup dependent with how they use Rob, trying to find the right scenarios for him to excel. Maybe if they go smaller, or sorry, if Golden State goes smaller with Draymond at center, you can put him in that situation where you have him flying around the court as a free roamer, let Draymond beat you with his shooting. Sort of similar to how they put him on P.J. Tucker and and let him be like a free safety running around the court, um, Rob, that is. And then Looney, you can let Al Horford sort of bang with him down in the post. There could be a scenario where we have a Daniel Tice emergence in the finals, <laughs> uh, I will Ooh. say, because depending on how Rob's health and if you need some more more spacing on the floor, I think Tice is more than capable in a, in a dribble handoff game, a high-low screen game. He's a great screener with Tatum. They have really good chemistry, and he's generally a guy who knows what to do out there. He's like a capable player. Um, so I, I'd love to see Daniel Tice, the German hammer. Uh, have <laughs> German hammer. I like five even... to ten minutes, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, if, if Rob or Al gets in foul trouble, they need someone to throw out there for a couple minutes. Daniel Tice is a capable guy. I mean, they gave up Dennis Shooter to get him and, and Enos Freedom. So that's, that's some big names. They need someone to fill <laughs> that, those holes. Oh, you see Dennis's uh, Instagram story. Yeah, he had this, the Celtics tattoo. <laughs> Does he get a ring if they win? Yeah, he'd get a ring. Oh, yeah. He'd get a ring. Enos Freedom would get a ring. Josh Richardson. Straight to the rafters. Good for Josh Richardson. Uh, Iso Joe would get a ring. Wow. (laughs) Nick Stauskas. Oh, Sauce Castillo, of course. Malik Fitz. He'd get get a really, really big ring. Really big contributor. Luke Cornett. It'd be incredible. (laughs) He's on the team, yeah. Oh, yeah, so is Malik Fitz and, and Nick Staskin. <laughs> they just don't play. Um, one thing I thought was just sort of interesting to talk about was if Miami would have been a better matchup against Golden State, I don't think so. But you see this all the time when a, when a team wins or loses and mm-hmm. then they make it far. It's like, well, I know they won, blah, 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 but I think they would have matched up better than, than this team. I Marcus Smart said it in 2018, or he said it recently about 2018, how that Celtics team would have matched up better with Golden State than Cleveland. And, I mean, the stats are kind of there to back it up. Kirk Goldsberry of ESPN said that Boston is the only team with a winning record against Golden State since Steve Kerr took over as head coach in 2014-15. Because they've... 
Golden State hasn't had a lot of answers for the wings that Boston has in Brown and mm-hmm. Tatum. Smart has generally done a great job guarding Curry, uh, as good as one can do. And no, he did not have a dirty play on Curry. We're going to be hearing that for the next couple days. It's such, it's a, there's no storyline. <laughs> he dove for a loose ball and he dove better than Curry did. Um, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, Dan. Everyone's always talking about that for no reason. It's just it's just this narrative around Marcus Smart. People just like bashing on him. Even those shots that he was taking in that game seven the other day. I I could see why people said they were bad shots, but he's open. He's a decent like three point shooter. So I feel like you give him those shots, but like I said, I think there's a widespread hate for Marcus Smart. I think he's good. You know, I agree. I think he's grown so much this year too, just with Ime and the turnaround that the Celtics have had and just the defensive presence that he offers. It's not just like the active hands, but it's the the off-ball positioning. I saw a fantastic TikTok about that, like just analyzed like where he was throughout an entire play. And, you know, it was against the, the Bucks, and he just forced it to, I forget, I forget the exact things, but it, it was just like, so smart and so second nature, um, no pun intended there, but of where he positioned himself to get the perfect defensive play. One thing I like about Marcus is, well, depending on the scenario, he's very decisive in his shooting. He knows that based off of the shot clock or where he's on the quarter, where the, how the play is developed, if he gets the ball wherever he is, he needs to shoot it. And he can usually get it in rhythm, and that's how he hits some of these sort of improbable threes. My issue with Marcus is where he starts shooting the threes with 16 seconds left on the shot clock because he Mm -hmm. gets the ball coming up the court. He goes around some screen, and he finds himself open, and he's like, yeah, this is is what I want to do with the position. I'm going to take this wing three off the dribble moving left. I'm like, no, Marcus, that's not... (laughs) Then he makes like one out of every three of them. You're like, oh my god! (laughs) He's he's one of the classic like no 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 yes sort of players. You you watch in the air, you're like, oh what a terrible shot. Okay, went in, but it's still a terrible shot. Yeah, that's what kind of made it hard for me to enjoy that game as a Mm -hmm. as a Celtics fan. The the game ended, but I was sitting there like, man, we played like crap. Yeah. Speaking of someone that's like hard to watch, Derek White. Like, wow, what's going on? You know, he gets, he's shooting like he's Derek Curry now. No, no more Grant Curry, Derek Curry. And like, and then, you know, he passes it across the top of the key to Tatum, just gives it away to Jimmy Butler. <laughs> like, I, I don't understand, you know, he's, he's really good at getting in the sets. And then he's just not thinking sometimes or overthinking it and just has like an easy, bad turnover. I know, I, I forget who it was that told him this. Maybe it was, it was White that relayed this message, but all of his teammates went to him and be like, like, yeah, like shoot it or like do what you need to do. Like you were brought to this team for a reason. We want you to succeed. Um, I, it's intimidating coming into this scenario, not because like, not because like you're playing with LeBron or, or something like that mm-hmm. with a real intimidating situation, but because you're playing with a really well-established culture and yeah. Smart and Horford and Kanan Brown know how to play off each other second hand and, and grant williams acts acts like he can do that um <laughs> oh as well God. um so it's tough to go and especially as a guard as a guy who has the ball and and has a lot of responsibilities getting players into sets and getting good looks mm-hmm. 
Um, I think he's done, he's done a good job adjusting, but yeah, he has like three or four plays a game where you're like, you, he's wide open for a three, and you know he doesn't want to shoot it because he immediately dribbles into the paint, and then yeah. he gets lost and he throws it back out, throws it right to like Jimmy Butler. Um, yeah, yeah. But he, I think it was funny. Jeff Van Gundy was talking about how much he likes Derek White, and like right when he said that, he just like throws it out of bounds <laughs> or something like that. It's like ah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's about right. Um, yeah. I think uh, the Celtics benefited from no um, Mike Breen being there uh, <laughs> last night because, you know, there would, would have been no one to call the bang if Jimmy <laughs> Butler gets that three, and so therefore That's he true. didn't hit it. Yeah. Uh, wow. What, what, a, what a great point. <laughs> Mark Jones is a professional. When I saw that, that Breen wasn't, obviously I was a little despondent. Uh, but Mark Jones is he's a professional and he really fits seamlessly and really yeah. the two of them and Brian Anderson are my other than Mike Gorman uh, little bias um, <laughs> are some of my favorite play by plays obviously at the national level I think Brian Anderson is fantastic I really um, one thing I had an idea with um, I was wondering what you guys think about this if like ESPN slash ABC and uh, Turner should have like a finals rotation like how the super bowl is traded off between networks mm, if like yeah. every other year like turner should get a crack at it because i think they could learn from each other it'd be good competition to elevate the broadcast because sometimes i think espn gets we've talked about this before yeah. especially with the cutting of the replays they get a little lazy yeah, and yeah. it's just not the best product um and turner turn does a great job in everything they do with inside the nba with all their all-star game coverage mm-hmm. uh and and all that uh they do really great stuff so i'd like to see them get a crack at that at the top tier product what do you guys think i mean i agree uh i don't know if you notice like van gundy and um uh, blinking on the third commentator's name mark jackson mark jackson yeah it was mark jones and mark jackson uh van gundy and jackson were fighting on tv on national <laughs> television they're arguing Just about arguing. certain players yeah. and things yeah and it's just like that's not what you're there for. Like it was very obviously about them and what they thought. And, you know, I think it's like with former, like sometimes when like some of the former coaches and players, I don't know exactly how they got to commentating, but they have like almost like a fall from grace because they were in a position that was better. And then they got fired from their head coaching job and now they're doing commentating. I I don't know. It was just not fun to listen to them because they weren't talking about the game. They were just like trying to measure their, you know, what's and on national television. So that that was my personal thing. I was kind of disappointed when I realized it would yeah. just be ESPN again for another seven games. What do you think, Dan? Uh, for me, I really liked the coverage of Kevin Harlan, Stan Van Gundy, and Reggie Miller. And my hope for the NBA Finals is that we see Kevin Harlan because I feel like no one makes it more exciting without being annoying than <laughs> him. And just like his, I just love his calls and I want to see him out there. One thing I have to say about Kevin Harlan, it's really funny when it's like January, middle of January, some like regular season game, <laughs> and Kevin Harlan comes on and he's like, Piston Suns coming next. And I'm like, okay, I, calm down, bro. Like, Suns are going to win by 40, right? Intensity's always up there. I love it. He, he's a gamer, he, he shows up every night. They should have Eric Collins come in, the Hornets play-by-play guy. 
Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh my gosh. It was so much fun. <laughs> if you had him like, over the course of a series, he'd probably come up with all kinds of wild nicknames and, and stuff for the yeah. different guys, right? He would lose yeah. his voice. Yeah. And what I like about him, I watched a lot of the Hornets like uh, broadcast illegally. I mean, not illegally. Um, <laughs> you, you, you've, uh, no, you've supported the Hornets, yeah? I've supported the Hornets, yeah. And he is he's obviously done research on the other players, on the other team. And he has like fun things for them too, you know? It's not like a one-weighted, one-weighed broadcast. I think he'd be very good for like national television, although I wouldn't want him to leave the Hornets. But, you know, just good golly Miss Molly. Like, I don't know. It's always something weird and unexpected, but it keeps you engaged. They could do a structure like the the Nets do. The Nets have like three broadcast teams, but I mean they have a main one with Iron Eagle. But obviously, Iron Eagle does he does NFL, he does college basketball, and he does uh, he's I believe he's the second like basically the second crew for TNT. Um, I mean Mike Breen does Knicks games, but he also does ESPN. So there could be a way if Eric Collins gets a he could get a gig. He could be. Um, Honestly, if they need an energy guy, TNT after Kevin Harlan retires, he could be like a natural fit there. Yeah, that'd be cool. If he wanted to do it, that's a lot of travel. But for guys that love the game and want more exposure and be able to cover yeah. some of these different matchups, I think it's an exciting opportunity. Um, one last thing on sort of a little bit of a preview. We're going to get into X factors later, but an X factor we think for each team. What do you, uh, Dan, I have this question for you. What do you think about the different defenders that Golden State can throw at Boston. Like they can throw Wiggins, Moody, Kaminga, Otto Porter, Clay, maybe Gary Payton second. He's I believe questionable to play in game one on Thursday. What do you think about the different looks that they can throw at those two main guys for Boston? I think it's great. I mean Moody, Kaminga, these young guys in game four and five of the Mavs series, they look like vets. I mean there was obviously that comeback. But these guys have improved so much and um, they're learning from guys like Draymond, Iguodala. Like, these are great defenders, obviously. And even someone like Otto Porter Jr., and then obviously coming back, Gary Payton, the second, and Bielitsa. I feel like people forget that a few years ago, a lot of teams were trying to get Bielitsa. And he's done a good jo- he did a good job against Luka in Game 5, guarding him. And there was this argument that was going around Twitter that he was too unathletic and too slow to bite on the pump fakes that Luca was doing. So it actually translated into good defense. <laughs> I don't know about that, maybe. <laughs> but yeah, I think they have a lot of good defenders, like you said, that they can throw at the Jays. I think it's just going to be a great, you know, back and forth matchup. It'll be a lot of great adjustments throughout the series because I think Udoka and Kerr are really good at not only making like X and O's adjustments, but they're really good at knowing what the team needs like from an emotional standpoint. And part of it is uh, they've, they've both been players. Obviously, Kerr with a little more success as a player in terms of teams he's been on. They've both been through the San Antonio system and learned from the best there. Uh, I don't really think I've seen Kerr and Udoka interact. I'm sure they know each other. Everyone knows each other. That's just sort of yeah. how it works. But I'm excited to see all, all the battles that really happen. Because I know Tatum and Draymond have a lot of respect for each other. But, mm-hmm. you know, they won't hold anything back on the court. There might be yeah, some animosity. Yeah, commercial, right? Um, yeah. Wait, yeah. What commercial is it? Yeah, it was a Subway commercial. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
That was a great commercial. <laughs> I forgot what the line was. Huh. Oh my gosh. It was a big meme. Yeah. Duncan, we used to talk about that commercial all the time. <laughs> yeah. I can't remember. Something about bacon. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. It's like mine is bacon. Yeah. 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 Hey, Tatum's opened up a little bit more. I remember his first, when he was a rookie, he had a commercial with like a local donut um, like place around <laughs> New England. And he had, and he was like, I'm Jason Tatum and I love a good cup of coffee. <laughs> and um, now you see those Ruffles commercials. He has a little more personality. Yep. Um, I think it's good because he's, he's like been a face of the league, but he's, yeah, he's not that personable as, as opposed yeah. to, I don't know, Steph. Yeah, yeah. I think I get so many deuce like memes on mm-hmm. my uh, <laughs> on my TikTok page, and it's just like a picture of Jimmy Butler and Deuce, and it's like Jason Tatum's sons playing together, <laughs> like something like that, you know. <laughs> it's just a good time. I wonder if Deuce and, and Cannon will have a, a play date. That's Steph's son. I actually saw, you know, you might have seen some of the TikToks if you're on NBA TikTok. They're like, oh, who is better all time? This they'll have like I don't know, like like Shaq and another center there it's like rebound yeah Hakeem it'll be like rebounding and I'll go Shaq and it was just like oh, all I that it was like all deuce over cannon <laughs> and it was like swimming and it's deuce swimming in Miami <laughs> and like all that yeah yeah he did say he was good I don't think he was at game seven though he uh I saw nothing around of him after the game mm. Tatum seemingly didn't post anything but I think he stayed home for that one gotcha but yeah I I recently re-watched um the last dance uh and just had me thinking about just how how much better the finals or the the seven game series like travel system is now like having two away two home two away and then one 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 versus two three and two i mean it's more travel and it really doesn't work when they play every other day but other than that just like i feel like it, it was weird some of those series that jordan had you know you played three games in salt lake city or something like that and it almost gives an advantage to the away team. If they split one, then they have three in a row. That's the whole thing with the 2-3-2. Two, two. Um, yeah. Because, you know, if you split the home three in a row, you could, you know, pull it off. It's a little crazy. This is a better system. Yeah. And, and besides in the finals, you're going to have a – I looked, there are, like, two off days in between every game except mm-hmm. games three and four in Boston. Um, yeah. In fact, game, game four in Boston – on my birthday, very exciting. I will not Ooh. be there. Ah, uh, like, go to a watch party in Boston. That'd be cool. I could. I mean, tickets are a thousand dollars, so I will not I'm be not at the game. <laughs> but um, yeah, we'll get more into the X factors we have for each team coming up after the break. Okay, coming back from the break, we're gonna get into X factors for each team, like what they need to do in either in order to win the series or something they just need to keep in mind. Um, either coming off a of last series or just dealing with this new opponent. Uh, Duncan, you can, uh, you can start off. Yeah, sure. So for the Celtics, it's the turnovers. It's about, because um, it's really momentum killers, just stopping the turnovers and also like playing to the refs a little bit. You know, I think that's something they kind of struggled with. Um, they get a lot of calls against them. And, you know, whether they were the right calls or not, I don't know. But then they kept on doing the same things. Like, being overly aggressive on defense or, you know, even though your arms are straight up, they've been calling it. So back off a little bit, you know, it's just adjusting to the refs, uh, which it, not, not huge adjustments, but little adjustments. Um, 
Yeah, Derek White. Yeah, he can't start off the game with turnover. He loses all of his momentum. Uh, and also, don't let the Warriors see that you're tired. You know, sometimes in that, like in that Miami game, although Ime took um, in Game Seven took them out when they had the lead, like took some of the starters out. It just it seemed like they were still tired when they came back in, and they were just begging the Heat to come back. So I think kind of going through that, don't let them see that you're tired. And maybe Ime part of that is changing the rotations a bit and in the first couple of games not giving like Jason Tate and Jalen Brown like 45 minutes uh not that they I don't exactly know their how many minutes they've been having but it seems like 43 plus um I mean yeah, it is the playoffs <laughs> I think they were lower to the or closer to the low 40s yeah but obviously I think with Draymond and Steph like they are killers and they will seek out um whatever is weak um which is smart and it's how they win but I think that's really important. Um, so do you think Golden State really has to basically capitalize off some of those Boston things, like force them into turnovers? And then obviously in, in transition, Golden State can get a lot of good threes and on um, stuff like that. Yeah, I think, I mean, the the strong point in, uh, in this series, it's going to be Boston's defense against Golden State's offense. You know, I don't know which one is better. But on the other hand, I think that Boston's offense is better than Golden State's defense. So they're really going to have to, not that they're a horrible defensive team, but they're going to have to capitalize on those turnovers, pressure Derek White, um, smother Jalen Brown when he gets in the paint. Um, that way he can, you, you know, Jalen Brown in the paint, he doesn't have the best handle or decision making when he's down there. So when Jalen Brown's off the ball, don't let him take those deep uncontested threes to get him going and then force him into the paint where it'll be harder for him to finish. Yeah, um, certainly Jalen Brown. I, he, he was a lot better in the last couple of games, being a lot more decisive and, and sure. taking the looks I were given to him. One thing I have for Boston is really being able to manage these shooters in, in a couple different ways. I think getting around screens is really important. One thing, they always put Kurt or... Not Curry. They always put smart on guys who who were going around a lot of screens because he's their best guy in avoiding screens. And then they pivoted to putting like Jalen Brown on Max Struess, and he was very effective. But I think he had one or two times where he like fouled a three point shooter. So I think what's really important is being able to defend and, and affect airspace without fouling. It's even more prevalent for Golden State because Curry and Poole are like the best two free throw shooters in the league. Mm -hmm. And giving those guys free opportunities, especially when Poole has struggled to get going a little more as of late, you can't give either of those guys the opportunity to start seeing baskets going in at the free throw line and to get momentum. And um, obviously, it's not been an issue for Boston with getting guys in foul trouble, really. Like, there hasn't been... Like, I know Larry fouled out and Street fouled out the other game. But there, Boston hasn't had those issues. But if you start doing stuff like that, you will. Um, uh, Dan, I was just wondering what you had uh, for Golden State's keys, because we've sort of focused more on Boston so far. Yeah, for Golden State, I think it's crunch time execution. I think Steve Kerr is one of the best at drawing up plays off of inbounds uh, and just the way they manage late game situations with the experience they have with Steph, Clay, and Draymond directing the offense, what dribble handoffs, that kind of stuff. 
I feel like that's going to be one of the crucial points of this series and this final because the Celtics have struggled um, closing out games. They've blown a few leads here and there. And, uh, yeah, I think that's one of the main points and something they could capitalize on if they're smart. I think that's a really good point, too, because uh, the Celtics' defense sort of got better throughout the course of Game 7. In the last couple of minutes, the Miami's half-court offense was not great. They had some good looks, like Struis coming off the screen and having a really tough fadeaway three or some transition stuff. But in the half-court, in the last like five minutes, the Celtics' defense was really, really solid. And... Yeah. um so Golden State being able to capitalize down the stretch too, um, that, that's obviously the best matchup unit to unit. Celtics defense, Warriors offense, that's the one everyone will be looking at. Mm-hmm. So I do think it'll be interesting then on the other half, Golden State's defense gets really overlooked, but they're a really solid unit. I believe they were one of the top by defensive rating or, or whatever opponent field goal percentage, whatever metric yeah. you want to use. Um, and uh, we've, I mean, we've talked about it nauseum. Boston, their half-court offense has struggled in late-game situations. They've been sloppy with turnovers at times and getting bad shots in the beginning of the shot clock. So that will that's sort of like the under, um, like the not the under, uh, uh like the the dark horse, if you want to say for a matchup storyline to be looking at. Yeah, um, and with regards to turnovers, the Warriors have also been a bit sloppy with the ball, but they've tidied things up recently. And even though the Warriors are so experienced, it just shows that like turnovers, stuff like that, it's kind of hard to avoid. And I think the Warriors will need to keep a good hold on the ball. And same with the Celtics. Yeah, that's a good point, Dan. That makes me think of like Game Seven of the Celtics, just how many fast break points that Boston had. Um, it's just like those turnovers, it'll be important for both teams to capitalize off of the turnovers. But I don't have the stats up in front of me. I think the Warriors probably commit more, have more turnovers on average, but their high three-point percentage and big three-point volume usually makes up for that, and that's why they're able to win so many games regardless of the turnovers. Yet, however, it might not be the case if Boston has a high percentage on converting those turnovers to, to buckets. Part of the way Golden State plays too, um, sort of flashy with some of their passing and making the extra pass, it can uh, end up biting them. I know it's six years ago, but in 2016, Game 7, it's in the last couple minutes, uh, uh, Cavs are, are rotating over. They're, they're a little late on the rotation. Clay's open in the corner. Curry does like a behind-the-back pass to him, and it goes yeah. out of bounds. Really important possession. I think the mm-hmm. final score of that game is like ninety three eighty seven. So you need the points. So it is the way they play, but uh, uh, they know how to play well. Obviously, Golden State and, and play smart, yeah. and and some they played some of the most beautiful basketball we've seen um, in terms of making the extra pass and being selfless. But it'll they're going to have to reel it in. Now this yeah. isn't something I have in the notes, but I'm going to put you guys on the spot. For your finals predictions, for me, I'll start while you guys can figure yours out. I'm going to have Boston in seven. He has, it's like they said, uh, after after game seven against Miami, they don't make things easy. Um, It'll be a long series. It'll be a lot of adjustments 
team, both teams will lose at home. And I just, you know, defense wins championships. Um, okay. I'll just defer to Boston uh, and obviously in seven, cause it's just crazy. <laughs> and it'll be a really good, tough, long series. Yeah. Yeah. I think I might have to, to mirror that. I, I think I, I also think it'll go to six or seven games. Um, you know, split the first two, so, you know, it'll be tied two two and whether I think Boston will win in six or in seven. Uh, I got the stat up and Ooh. the Warriors are second in the league in turnovers per game, right behind the Houston Rockets with yeah. 14.9 turnovers per game. And uh, I, if I could, I wish I could get the Boston like fast break points per game, but they're pretty mm-hmm. high up there. Yeah. And, you know, uh, Nothing's going to be free in this series. They're going to have to fight for everything. So it's going to be in seven games, and I think it will be Boston. Okay. I'm going to go the other way. I'll take Golden State in six games. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Don't do it to me like that. I think Gary Payton coming back is huge, and same with Otto Porter Jr. coming back. I think it's – yeah, I think – I would lean towards the Warriors just with experience, everything in general. Um, but yeah, I'm just hoping for a good series. Hopefully everyone can be healthy and hopefully the fatigue isn't a huge factor because like Peter said earlier, they have around two days of rest between each games, each game. And um, although the, the Celtics have had a really difficult road up to this point, um, they're going to be tired, but they're younger. And I think they'll be ready to uh, have a go at the Warriors. And yeah, and like we said in the previous episode, it's two great stories. Warriors coming back from huge injuries from Steph and Clay, Draymond partially injured, them drafting and taking chances at young guys that other teams kind of passed up on. And then we have the Celtics. They had struggled with Marcus Smart and the Jays. Brought Al Horford back, who was, who seemed a bit washed up when he was briefly on OKC. I think it was. I don't even. Remember. Yeah, he was. He was sort of cast off, <laughs> sent sent to the the outer rim out there yeah. in Oklahoma City. <laughs> and then them making a move for Derek White, bringing him in, getting him him acclimated. Uh, yeah, I think it's just going to be a great series, a great matchup. And the question I have is, do you think the Celtics? are the best matchup for the Warriors thus far? Or do you think it was a previous team that they played? So, yeah, 100%. Golden State's kind of a cakewalk. Cause, um, so they played Dallas, who I don't even think is that good outside of Luka. Like, they have good mm-hmm. players, but they don't they don't have that extra piece to put them over the edge. They don't have a Jalen Brown. They don't have a Bam. Um, they, they don't have anyone like that. And then, what, before then, they played, who did they play? Memphis. Okay, they played Memphis, who... I think if Jaw were healthy during that series, it would have been a little closer, but, yeah. They still seem like they're, like, a year or two away from from really being there. And, and without Jaw, it was a different series. And then in the first round, they played... Boy, why am I blinking on everything? They played the sixth seed, which... The Nuggets... Okay, they played the Nuggets, which yeah. are just Jokic with no one else. Like I, I counted on my hands, like how many <laughs> Hall of Famers Boston had went through. And mm-hmm. if you go through, like in Brooklyn, they went through Kyrie, Kevin. I can cheat and say Steve Nash, 
Um, Blake, <laughs> Blake prob- probably Blake, probably Lamarcus. So there's yeah. five. Yeah. And then for Milwaukee, you have Giannis. Um, I, 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 Gian- or Middleton and Holiday are not really. They're not yeah. like quite there. They're they're fringe sort of. Um, this is the way basketball Hall of Fame works. It's kind of easy mm-hmm. to get in. Then Miami, Spolstra, Jimmy Butler, Haslam. No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> uh, maybe depending on how things go, maybe Lowry, probably not. And then you're running into Golden State, which will have Curry, Draymond, um, probably Clay and Kerr. Uh, you could make an argument for Iguodala if you wanted. So there's like okay. 12 Hall of Famers in that run. Um, if uh, let let's just finish the, the exercise for. Golden State, what, you went through Jokic. Um, I cannot say anything about Memphis a little early. No. Uh, for, you know, let's just have fun and say uh, Luca. Yep. And, and uh, sure, Jason Kidd. That's three. <laughs> and then yeah. what? I, can you say, like, Tatum, Brown? I don't know. Not really. Can't say that right now. Not yet. Yeah. Well, I think what's tough with that is that the, the Warriors haven't played a team offense, you know? They've had mm. some great like individuals, and the Mavs, you know, they they kind of proved everyone a little wrong. You know, everyone said it was just the Luca show, and they made it to the the conference finals, but still, it was the Luca show a little bit. Yep. Um, I guess the Grizzlies are kind of a team offense, but even then, they have their obvious star. And although the Celtics have Jason Tatum, like he's like funnily enough, not the star of the show. Like he de- he's definitely the star, yep. but you know, he had a quiet like 18 points at one point and like i was like wow jason tatum's done nothing he still has 18 points mm-hmm. he, he's like he's there to facilitate the team and that's what's gotten him good it's being that you know yeah. that point forward facilitating everything it's uh he has some very quiet games at times um but if they lead the boston wins it doesn't matter for him doesn't matter for the team Absolutely. Um, one thing i will say dan i was very relieved you picked Golden State to a degree because whenever all the pundits have Jinx. picked Boston, it's not done well. Uh, I know yeah. Game Six. I think you know is as if Miami was down every player. Um, the way everyone's talking about it, which I think was a little silly. I think Miami's way too good. They have way too many gamers. Spolster's too good of a coach for them to wilt over and die, um, like everyone was seemingly expecting. Mm-hmm. So Do you guys we'll... have. Uh... Oh, we're we gonna wrap up. No, no, no. You can talk. We I'm just going to be the last one. Uh, do you, who do you think is going to be like the dark horse performer in this finals? Like, who do you think is going to rise to the occasion that you wouldn't have expected? Andrew um, Wiggins. Ooh. I think, I think he's a team player. Yeah, I don't know. He's a, yeah, he's a, the quietest all-star starter. <laughs> well, the way he's been playing lately. Um, it wouldn't be a surprise to me if he kept kept on going. It's true. Well, it's tough for me. It's so weird because like I watch every Celtics game, and so if a certain guy shows up, I'm like, oh, I've seen how this sort of game goes. But I'm just gonna say uh, Peyton Pritchard because he didn't really get a chance to play against Miami because they were switching onto him and bullying him. And he'll probably be able to play against some of these smaller Golden State lineups. And he is someone who is really important for the Celtics as a, as a reliable spacer. Yeah. Because they've sort of struggled with, with 
finding reliable shooting. Horford is on and off sometimes. Derek White uh, doesn't always shoot, and if he does, it's on and off. But Pritchard is someone who can make deeper ones. He's a decent playmaker off the dribble and someone who can kind of create in late game shot clock situations. So, you know, if there's some game where he comes in and he scores like eight straight points or something randomly, mm-hmm. people would be like, oh, where's this guy coming out? But <laughs> it wouldn't be surprising if I saw a bunch of Peyton Pritchard memes all over Twitter. Awesome. What about you, Dan? Um, I was also thinking about Peyton Pritchard. Um, I want to think of someone from the Warriors. I was having trouble. I'd probably just go with Looney, just because he's surprised a lot of people. I hope he does well this series. Um, yeah. If I were going to the Warriors, I feel like I'd go Kaminga, because that dude's just so raw and athletic. He'd be a guy yeah. you don't really game plan for, and he comes in and just disrupts yeah. the game by, by going towards the rim or making some jaw-dropping plays. This is a really weird comparison, but it reminds me of in uh, Super Bowl 49, Patriots-Seahawks, at the end of the first half, the Seahawks bring in this big receiver. I, I only remember his name because he, he had like never played before. He's like the 6'4 guy. They bring him in. They just throw lobs to him down the sideline. He catches them every time. You're like, where'd this guy come from? And so then they have to change all their corner alignments around. Then that leads to Malcolm Butler coming in at the end of the game. It all works out. But it's just, you know, this sort of big athletic guy comes out of nowhere. You're like, what? Who is this dude? Like, he's mm. making these jaw dropping plays. Yeah. Like, why hasn't he played? Like, this guy looks like the best player in the world. You don't think Luke Cornett's going to be that guy for you? <laughs> no, the green Cornet doesn't get a lot of playing time. No, it'd be the German hammer all day. Yeah, but... <laughs> maybe Daniel Tice, he wins uh, finals MVP. I hope. <laughs> you probably some great odds for that. Yeah. Oh, Daniel Tice, Finals MVP. I hope it's Al that um not wins Finals MVP, but like he's it's it's a great story. How many like 146 playoff games before making it to the finals or something like that? Like I don't know. I just hope he performs at like kind of what we saw in some of those Milwaukee games and in some of those Miami games. And yeah. just I, I don't know how far he is from retirement, but it would be a great way to kind of bookmark or end some of his career. I think he's played historically well against Golden State whenever he's been with Boston. Um, so I'd expect good things out of Al. I wonder what he's going to be like next season, if he's going to have the legs to uh, have another run at it with these guys. Well, I was I was thinking about this earlier. Depending on how it goes, he'll be on, I believe, an expiring. He would be the oldest by far player on a somewhat young Celtics team. You know, I don't know if there'd be a way to flip that contract into into some younger pieces. That would make more sense. The Celtics don't have a lot of assets because they are missing some first round picks due to swaps or or um or just stuff in other existing deals. So yeah. um you know, if there's a deal that they could make to bring in like a another stretching a guy who can stretch the floor at a bigger position that's maybe more on the timeline of Tatum Brown. John Collins has long been rumored to the Celtics more in a Jalen Brown deal because Jalen's from Atlanta and they need that second defensive wing next to Trey Young. Jalen Brown makes perfect sense. And then the other one I was thinking of uh, was uh, Tobias Harris, but I don't think he, I don't think Boston would want to pay him that much. 
I don't know why Philly would want Al Horford again. <laughs> Three-teamer in there. I don't know. I, I just think, I don't think they can rely any options if they're really committed to trying to extend this this thing going with the Jays and Al Horford could be on the block. Wow. I didn't think that's this is how it's going. We we do this. I talk about what we're getting for Al Horford. Here we are. I'm kind of sad. Not gonna lie. Big Al. I was so sad when Al left the first time. I was like, really? You're, <laughs> you you love Boston. They're going to Philly, but they gave him the bag. And respect to Al getting the bag. Yeah, and you see, um, the contract that he signed in Philly gave him a six million bonus for making the finals, and a set there'll be a seven million bonus if they win. Yeah, that's big time. I know Jalen yeah. Brown is a big bonus too. Nice. Um, yeah, it's, I think if like if they won, they'd go over the tax. So some people were like, "Oh, well, we can't pay the tax," and I'm like, "All right." I think it might be worth it a little bit. <laughs> I'll I'll pay the tax. I won't because it'd be millions of dollars. But you know, I would in the in in their shoes. Um. Well, wrapping things up for this episode, uh, let's go over last week's uh, Q&A and poll. Uh, or Q&A, uh, as always, these are on Spotify. So if you listen to us on Spotify in the app, these will be in every episode so you can respond and hear your answers read live. Or if you don't want them read, I guess you can write in the description, like, don't read my answer or don't say who I am. Otherwise, I will. Um the Q&A was, who will be the next American to win MVP? It's something I talked about. I thought Trey Young was an interesting dark horse in this. But uh, our own co-host, Garrett Collins, said uh, Jason Tatum. No surprise there, coming from yeah. Garrett. And it kind of seemed like the obvious pick. Um, and then for a poll, who made the best team? So, again, we made these, these fun lineups drafting the best players left in the conference finals. So that would be players from the Mavericks Heat. Celtics and Warriors. Just as a refresher for those teams, uh, we do have a graphic for them available on our Instagram, or you can just listen to the last episode. Uh, Daniel's team, it goes uh, Kyle Lowry, uh, Luka Doncic, Andrew Wiggins, Dorian Finney-Smith, Bam Adebayo, Jalen Brunson, Andre Iguodala, and Davis Bertans. What a team. He had the number one pick in the snake draft. <laughs> yeah, what a team. Uh, my team was Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Draymond Green, Kevon Looney, Jordan Poole, Tyler Hero, and Grant Williams. And then Duncan's team was Stephen Curry, Clay Thompson, Jimmy Butler, Robert Williams, Al Horford, Spencer Dinwiddie, Victor Oladipo, and PJ Tucker. Filthy. It's uh, I will. So the votes on Spotify were two votes for me, one vote for Duncan. But on Instagram, you know, people were a little heated in the comments. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, uh, Dan, you really you vouched for your team in the comments. You know, Latvian Laser, of course, being on the the fake Latvian Laser, of course, <laughs> all about Luke Kennard. Um, but it does seem like it was kind of split between me and you, Duncan. Um, I mean, we just gotta. Peter, you've got your, your PlayStation. Put make two two K teams and let them sim each other sim each other. Yeah, I might do it. Um, you know, I'll give myself uh, uh what I'll be the Celtics because I have like four Celtics. You actually have the most balanced team in terms of representation because mm. I have four Celtics, three Warriors, and and a Heat. 
Yeah, yeah. I just have the best player from every team. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you have. Oh, do you have Luca? No. All right. Uh, exactly. Do you have Tatum? No. <laughs> hey, whoa! I've got Al Horford on my team. Whoa. Hey, I've got I've got the best players from every team. I've got Grant Williams and Kevon Looney and Tyler Hero. So I'm I'm gonna take Peter's team in the in six games. Six. Oh, six wow. Games. It's going sounds to that PJ Tucker pick. No, I mean it's it the old for the lineup. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna be honest. Actually, if I was thinking about this, if I could like change one pick with a player who is like not drafted. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I would take out uh, either Pool or Hero. I've been thinking about who Ooh. I'd want out. I think I take out. I'll take out Jordan Pool and put in Derek White because I want a little more defense at the guard position. Because you can't play Pool and Hero together, you know. True. Um, actually, yeah. Uh, you know, I'll see if I can get them in like a playoff series, eight man <laughs> rotation, and and see who wins. It'll be, be great TikTok content. There you go. It would. <laughs> oh, yeah. People love that sort of stuff. And whoever wins that matchup plays me in the finals up against Iguodala. <laughs> you, you have the buy? I would buy. I think either <laughs> team would sweep your team in four. <laughs> Although, I think 2K loves Luka. So, I think you'd, you'd yeah, stand true. There you go. You can't miss. Yeah. So, um, if you want to engage in all this fun, exciting content, again, listen to us on Spotify. <laughs> Uh, we can uh, answer the Q&A in the poll as well as follow us on Instagram at 7 Seconds or More. It's also in the description of this and every episode. Um, so, yeah, wrapping up, uh, Dan, thank you for coming on as always. And Duncan, again, uh, coming on as always. <laughs> um, I, don't, I don't know why I scratched myself at, at that time. Um, but, yeah, thank you guys for listening, and we will see you next time.